The Holy Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after, be, after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where the spirit comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, what, that the world might be saved through Him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise I invite you all to be seated. So, uh, last week we got bonus Bible. And this week, this is the extra credit that I, that I said you might want to do is to read where the therefore in uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 comes from. And I have good news for you, for those of you who might have forgotten to do your homework, we had the answer to where that therefore came from in today's readings in Romans chapter 4, and so now your knowledge is complete, right? So the, the second piece is that uh, I, I kind of consider this part 2 of this, first, this morning's first service sermon. Both sermons stand on their own, but I'm not going to cover a lot of what I covered in first service in this service because this is such a deep and rich text. So, and this, is, this isn't a shameless plug, even though it might sound like one. On our website, um, I, there's a link to the sermons that I preach on Sunday mornings. If you want to hear part one, then you can later today or, or maybe tomorrow, depending on how the rest of the day goes, you can go to the website and hear part one and part two in their entirety. And so, I, in fact, I forgot to mention that this morning. So congratulations, I have given you secret knowledge. But, uh, but I'll, I'll trust you all to share that with the rest of the crowd, and we'll, we'll see if June might send that out too. Um, so there's, there's a couple things, though, that are in common that I want to make certain that we cover. Um, one of them is, is that throughout the Gospel of John, we do have this interplay between light and darkness. And light often means, you know, the revelation of God's glory, the revelation of the saving knowledge of Christ, the revelation of the goodness of the kingdom of God, the ways in which God is incarnated into the world through Jesus Christ as the Word made flesh, so that we might be able to enjoy all the good things of God's love that 
we were already offered by God, but maybe didn't understand how to access because we had been so blinded by whatever it is that blinds us. We can call it sin, death, and the powers of hell and the devil. That's fine. But just our own humanity often is good enough for that, isn't it? And that's that part, not that being human is bad, but that part, our own humanity that binds us and blocks us and, and causes us to, to stand apart from God and isolate ourselves because of sin. Remember, we talk about sin as captivity. We, and in the, uh, the ELW, we have, we confess we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. In the sacred green book of the ELW, it was we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. In the Greek, where it all came from, it is actually, I believe, the word doulos, which is the word for slave. We are enslaved to sin and cannot free ourselves. There is nothing that we can do to free ourselves of this burden in the darkness. And that's what the darkness that John seeks to overcome through his narrative is really talking about that part of us that is bound so tightly to the forces of our brokenness, our willfulness, our human desires, the, the cravings that we have for our own way and the things that separate us from God because those are the things that are so rooted to our identity that we couldn't even imagine ourselves without them. That is the captivity that the light from God comes into our darkness to dispel, right? So we have that beginning. And also we have this other thing that I want to mention. We, you may have heard one of the verses that, that we have in today's gospel, you know, and, and you may have even heard people chant it in sports stadiums from time to time. For God did not come to the world to condemn it, but to redeem it. Oh, that's not the one you hear a lot? Oh, we hear, we hear, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that all who believe may have eternal life, right? But I say that 3.16 is in no way complete without 3.17, which states God's clear intention of what that love means. The love of God sent into the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and through the work of the church for the generations following until the end when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead is not a, word, a, a, a love through which God intends to condemn. It's a love through which God intends to redeem. And I think this is terribly important. And so now that the preview is done, part two. Um, so so here's, here's the other thing that I see in this. You know, Nicodemus does come to Jesus at night, in part because Nicodemus is, is recognizing, recognizing something in Jesus that is tremendously important, but also recognize what had already happened in John. Okay, this was in this morning's too, so maybe there's a little bit. But recognize what's already happened in John because this is also important. We've learned that, that Jesus is the Word of God who is in creation and through whom all things are created. So there's a theological importance. We've seen Jesus be baptized. The Spirit has descended and remained on him. And so that's important, right? That's something that people witnessed. And so they see, huh, there's something interesting about this Jesus. And then we also know that in John, something new happens that didn't happen yet in the other Gospels. Jesus has already cleansed the temple. Jesus has already gone into the temple and driven the money changers and all the rest of the people out and declared this is a house of prayer for all peoples and you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves or you know, all the colorful language he has for that and drives them out with a whip of cords. That might necessitate a visit from the pastor in and of itself. And, and the other thing that Jesus has already done is my favorite sign in John, which has turned water to wine. And so here's, here's Nicodemus who's come to Jesus at night Partly because here's this rabble rouser, and, and there's something about him that Nicodemus can't deny, that he wouldn't be able to do these things without somehow being associated with the power of God 
And so Nicodemus is open enough to recognize this. But also, I think part of Nicodemus coming there at night is due to the fact that sometimes when you, when you go and spend time with somebody, and a lot of people witness you do that, you lend them some of your own credibility, right? So if people saw Nicodemus just going to Jesus and visiting him in broad daylight, you know, if this guy does turn out to be crazy, you know, if, and, but one of, the, one of the Pharisees, one of the heads of the temple is going to visit him, you know, obviously there's something about, important about him. And I think Nicodemus maybe wants to be careful about just how much credibility he gives to Jesus if he is the crazy guy, right? And, and so there's layers is the point. I, I think sometimes we, we like for the things we read in Scripture to be kind of two-dimensional. We like a good morality lesson. We, we like a do this, don't do that. We, we like to be able to say, okay, in this scene, here's the good guy and here's the bad guy. We, we like to be able to say, here's the one we imitate, here's the one we don't imitate, and if in doubt, imitate Jesus, right? We, we like that in Scripture because it gives us kind of a, an easy way to interpret. But here's the trouble with that. Nicodemus is a whole person. Nicodemus is a living person. Nicodemus is a complex person who, on the one hand, because he holds this position in the temple, obviously sees some meaning in it. And I'm going to assume the best about him, that he holds that position faithfully and takes it seriously and wants so much like we all do to do the things that are going to give not only his life meaning and allow him to do some good in the world, but also allow him to fulfill whatever it is he understands God's purpose for his life is so that he's able to live out his calling as, as a child of God too, right? And, and also we see in Nicodemus this, the stubbornness that sometimes comes with position because I don't hear Nicodemus's questions as, as particularly antagonistic. However, I also don't hear them as entirely innocent. Think about this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, you know, how, how is it you're doing all these things? Because I, I know and we know, and it's interesting that it's we, isn't it? We know that you can't do these things apart from God. And then the other part I kind of interpret as meaning, but we just don't understand what your purpose is. Like, what are you thinking turning over tables in the narthex, right? What are you doing dragging a whip of cords and, and driving Alice out, right? I mean, that's, that's essentially the question that, that Nicodemus is at. These aren't figurative, like, characters. These are real people who, are, who as we say, are beloved of God, right? with histories and a full life that they lived from birth until death, just like the rest of us. And so when, G, when Nick, that's the thing that I wanna, wanna really hear is that this conversation is a conversation that has stakes and the stakes are high because people are probably pretty upset that Jesus did this and they're trying to figure out what in the world they're gonna do with this guy. The, the second thing that I think is really interesting is in some ways it's, it's a little bit of wordplay and it's, it's a little bit of kind of sarcastic, maybe not sarcastic, but it, it certainly is a, is a conversation back and forth that, that intends to drive at a certain idea. And I think there's a couple different ways we can hear it, which is why I think it's so interesting. You know, Jesus says, well, unless you're born of water and spirit, you know, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can be one be born again? Well, you have to be born of water and spirit. And Jesus goes on, he said, yeah, but... 
how can someone be born again after they've already grown old? Can I crawl back up into my mother's womb? You know, which is a, that, there's an image for you if you really dwell on that right there. I mean, it, but, and, and so if you just take it really literally, you know, there's, there's a sense that Nicodemus is saying, you know, this being born again stuff, he acts like he's hearing it literally so that he can drive the point home that maybe what Jesus is saying is a little bit ridiculous. You know, because I, I think in one sense what we hear is Jesus saying that, you know, to be born again, you think of what happens with people who are born, they have to learn everything. They have to be, they have to be new. They have to have new minds. They have to have open minds. They have to have that sponge ability that we all have when we're children. The, the people who are born again are the ones who are able to hear the word of God with fresh ears and once again be able to feel its power and its presence and its hope and its abject defense sense of defeat when we realize that the thing that we might do to save ourselves is a thing we can't do and we need grace, right? This, this excitement and these new ears that come only from sometimes those who are new to faith who teach us what it means to have faith, even if we've had it for our entire lives. And, and there's an aspect in that where Nicodemus is, as Jesus points out, a teacher of the people. And, and unlike our culture, and in the culture of, in the first century religious community of, of Jerusalem, the older you were, the more respect you had, right? They didn't have the idea that so-and-so is now 80 years old, and so obviously they're doddering and they don't know. They had the idea that so-and-so is 80 years old, and they have a lot of life experience, and maybe they have something to teach me about faith and about life and about, about the rest of it. And, and so even though I have utter confidence that children still thought their parents were crazy, you know, I, there is a sense in the culture that there's more respect. And so there's part of Nicodemus, I think, very humanly saying, why would I give up the place that, I, that I'm able to hold where I can teach people and I value? And I'm thinking through my own lens. It makes me feel good to teach people about the faith. It makes me feel good to help open their eyes and their hearts and their minds to things maybe they haven't seen before. You know, whether they're five or whether they're eight, that look of aha is, is one of the things that just turns my heart in, in, into brilliant joy. And part of it is because I get that aha right there with them and they teach me new things too. But it would be, I, I am probably the worst person to th sit through a sermon because I sit there about 80% of the time saying, well, I would have said that or he could have gone there or she might have done this. And, you know, like everybody does when they're sitting with somebody in their own profession and they're listening to them talk, talk about the thing that you do for a living, right? Pastors do this too, I guarantee it. And Pastor Fruth is so kind, never have, <laughs> and I've probably given him plenty of opportunity to say, well, you know, Eric, I would have said this, right? But it's just the way things are. And and it would be hard for me to go back and, and from now on for the rest of my life sit in a pew and never stand up again, right? Now, there's that aspect of it. And then there's, there's this other aspect of it where while it is true that with age, and, and so I, I do like the joke that uh, wisdom only comes to those who are open to it and some people get wise and some people just get old, right? And, and I think there is some truth in that. But, but for the most part, because wisdom is knowledge with scars, there, there are some things that we pick up along the way because if you live long enough, you get wounded a few times and hopefully they heal and become scars and you've learned from it and you're able to pass some of that on to other people, right? And in the same way, I look at my daughter 
And, and not that I'm, I'm really rigid, but there are certain things that I just do. And, and it's because it's easier to do it that way. Like I know that there are probably better ways to keep my calendar than what I do, but I know that one works for me. And so I am not about to go out and change my system unless you give me a really good reason to change it, right? Because then it's chaos everywhere. And my daughter will, will undoubtedly have 50 better ways to do everything that I do because she's learning all of it now, right? And we see the way children learn and they just soak it up in a way that we're jealous of, even at 40. And so the, the question might also be really practical for Nicodemus. How can I begin to have this beginner's mind again when I am so set and comfortable? You know, I, I hear another aspect of Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus is saying, Jesus, this is a hard teaching. Let's imagine for a moment that he's kind of on board with it and that he's not an antagonist. And Nicodemus is someone who really is coming to Jesus to figure out, okay, so you say you have this new thing and, and it really is the old thing that God has been proclaiming for generation upon generation. And, and I hear in what you're saying that the way this is being proclaimed in your teaching is something that we need so desperately to hear. But I am so okay with the, thing, with the way things have always been. And I just don't know how, how can I be born again? It's not like I can climb back into my mother's womb. Like when, when we get to that point, you know, you, you go from the extremes of, of sort of the hubris that comes from being a teacher to the, to the grief that comes from being a human being who has limitations. And all of this plays into Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night, at, which, in, which in John is always a time of seeking of, of needing knowledge, of needing God's presence, of, of needing this, need, this thing that is just outside of our grasp and we just can't catch it. And, and knowing that it doesn't come from inside of ourselves, but we just can't quite find it. And so we come to Jesus knowing that somehow Jesus has that thing, but sometimes we just walk away frustrated because like the, like the rich young man who said, what do I need to be doing? need to do to be good. And Jesus finally just said, you know, if you want to be good, then sell everything that you own and follow me. And it was such a hit to his identity because he couldn't imagine himself as somebody who doesn't have stuff. He just walked away grieving, right? That's the darkness that comes in John. Now, there's, there's another part of this uh, John 3 passage that I, that I think is so important. And, and we, in order to understand it, and it's not the passage we read, this is bonus Bible, but it, it's the passage that comes after this. And in order to understand it, we have to go back to the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through Him all things came into being, and without Him not one thing came into being. And what came into being in Him was life, and that life was the light of the world. And this light that shines in the darkness that the darkness could not overcome. And I saw a translation one time, and I can't remember what translation it was, but rather than saying that the light shined in the world and the darkness could not overcome it, it was more along the lines of the light shined in the darkness and the darkness com comprehended it not. The light was so different than what was in the world, the darkness couldn't even recognize that it was light. Talk about being set in our ways, right? that in the darkness you light a candle and you don't even realize that its light is light. 
So we get to this next piece in, in John chapter 3, where, where it says that people, the light came into the world and people preferred the darkness to the light because their deeds were evil. And we think of evil as kind of the, the beard rubbing, kind of hand wringing, you know, I'm going to do all these crazy things, you know, mastermind. But evil is not just like the one who never does anything good. Evil is the thing that separates us from God. Evil is the one that separates us from each other. Evil is the thing that allows us to believe and invest in the idea that there is something in me that's unredeemable and untouchable by God's grace. That evil is me choosing something that's comfortable rather than being free. Evil is that thing that causes us to desire to be alone because we're licking our wounds. Evil isn't like bad in the way we conceive of it. People chose to be isolated because they wanted to do their own thing. But if they were people of the light, then they know that those deeds would be revealed to be things they can no longer do and dwell in the light, right? I think that's what Nicodemus was struggling with. That if it's true that what Jesus was doing is of God, then all of a sudden, the temple, the, the world, everybody has a choice to make. Can we step out of what's comfortable and into this space where God calls us to be born anew and have that beginner's mind? Or are we so comfortable that we can't even recognize the light for what it is? We're so broken or so hurting or whatever it is that might keep us in that space. And we can't even imagine what it would be like to change our ways because we, we're stuck. You know, that's what I love about the story of Nicodemus is the struggle between the idea of him both being someone who was coming to just kind of jab at Jesus a little bit, but also this idea of what if he was sincere? Or what if he was sincere? So this week as we go out from this place, that's, that's what I'd like for us to wrestle with. You know, this, this morning, the wrestling was, was more along the lines of, you know, a love that, that looks like love. And, and how is it that, that we're able to understand, you know, this idea of God loving the world? And, and I think what part two is intending to bring us back to is how is it that we understand God loving the world that includes us and calls for our transformation, not just a generic trans transformation that happens to other people out there so that they can be good people like we are, but, but the transformation that happens within our hearts that calls us to repentance and new life because there is something that's happening within us that needs to be redeemed and recognizing that it's not because God is angry at us. It's because the problem that we have with sin is the problem we've always had with sin. And it's our problem, not God's. So we, we wrestle in, in, this, in this tension of it, knowing that the God who calls out to us in love is calling us to repentance, not to change God's anger into love, but with the love that God has always had for God's children, knowing that we need to hear this so much because there is nothing that we can do outside of it. So a uh, easy task, right? Wrestle with that this week and, and know that the light is in your world. And even if you can't recognize it right now, that doesn't stop it from shining. Amen. <laughs>